0: The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Good morning, Parkview. My name is Doug Fern. I'm one of the pastors here at Parkview, and it's my joy and privilege to be able to open God's Word with you here this morning. Um, Last couple weeks, we started a series called The Seven Deadly Sins. Now, if you examine the Scripture, if you go from the beginning to the end of the Bible, you will not see mention of the seven deadly sins. Deadly sins. Basically, the seven deadly sins is a uh, represents a historically Western understanding of the most basic root sins that, from which all other sin is born. So, what are the essential sins that nature, that humankind struggles with, that manifests itself in different ways and different sins come from? So far, we've looked at two. The um, first week we started looking at envy. Pastor, the other Pastor Doug walked us through envy. And then last week, Pastor Gilmore um, taught us on the sin of greed. This week, um, I get the delightful task of talking about pride. And I say that half jokingly, but completely seriously, because just the, um, the process of looking at what the Bible has to say about pride um, has, the last couple of days, um, Let's just say, put me in my proper place. Um, So to help us in our discussion this morning, we are going to take a look at the life of a king. um, A king who's found in the Old Testament. Um, Some of you may know him. You may not know him. His name is King Uzziah. The story of King Uzziah, his his name is mentioned several times in the Bible. um, But the the biography, essentially, of Uzziah's life is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And I would invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And we will look at his life this morning. Um, As you're turning there, uh, I am going to read... The verses will be on the screen if you don't have your your Bible with you. I'm going to start reading in verse 3. So we'll read a a good chunk of that chapter right now. Verses 3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name, and prepare your heart now, there are some names that I'm going to have to try and pronounce. All right? So just bear with me. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. He went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jebna and the wall of Eshdad. And he built cities in the territory of Eshdad and elsewhere among the Philistines, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the Mayunites and the Ammonites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle, and he fortified them. He built towers in the wilderness and, and cut out many cisterns for he had large herds, both in the Shephelah and in the plain, and he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills, in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war and divisions according to the numbers and the muster made by Jael, the secretary of Messiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of fathers' houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army, shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners, to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Verse 16, but when he was strong, he grew proud. Will you pray with me? Father God, Lord, as we examine the life of this king, Lord, um, I pray um, that you would stand by your word this morning, Father. Um, I pray that your your spirit would be present here, Lord, and as that your word um, is taught and examined, Father, that in our hearts, that you would show us, give us the grace of revealing and exposing in our own life, not just in King Uzziah's, but in our own life, um, areas of pride. Father, um, I pray um, that you would um, bring before us this morning such a compelling, great majestic vision of who you are, um, and a right vision of who we are. Lord, we love you, and and we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. One of the disciplines that I have enjoyed over my life has been fitness, exercise, and it looks different from time to time, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. Uh, One of the things I like to do is go to the gym, and up until a couple years ago, I was always terrified, actually really just recently, really terrified and hesitant to set foot on a treadmill, okay? Just didn't think, I mean, long, kind of uncoordinated, ganky, gankly kind of, you know, frame. Just didn't seem like the treadmill would be a good choice, okay? Um, and so finally one day I mustered up the strength and I thought, you know, I need to get some cardio in. Let me go ahead and try this, tread the treadmill. And it was literally at the gym I was working out. It was the first time I stepped foot on a treadmill. Okay, so I'm there running, and things seem to be going pretty well, okay? I, I'm on the tread. I mean, that's, that's a win right there, and I'm running. And after about a mile into the workout, you know, I'm running. I'm feeling, feeling pretty good about myself. I got this, right? And I begin, my gaze starts to turn from the tread up to this TV screen. And as I'm watching, I continue to run. I'm, I'm doing good. I'm starting to sweat, and I'm feeling good. And then all of a sudden, my foot comes down off the tread. And, and onto the rail on the side. Now, if you have ever had this happen or or had the grace of watching this happen to somebody else, um, you would know that there's really... I mean, if you are if you got a good pace going, there's really only one thing that's going to happen, all right? And that happened to me, all right? So I'm running, and, and foot comes down off the trail, and I fly off the back of the treadmill, okay? And this is like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The place is slammed with people. I mean, no lie, I did what every you know, confident individual would do, I stood up, dusted myself off, walked over to my coat, grabbed my keys, deuces, I'm gone, all right? (laughs) Left the place. It was a number of weeks before I even felt like I was comfortable enough to try to walk back in the gym, and when I did, I did so in the morning, not in the afternoon, okay? I was not going to play around with that. During that moment, Reflecting back on that, what essentially, I mean, that's kind of a a funny tale and just kind of making myself, this is a safe place, making myself vulnerable before you this morning. But really what it shows me is that on that day, my pride was not just attacked, it was dismantled, okay? And if I were to look back at my life and just maybe my day, um, I could probably provide for you illustration after illustration after illustration, example after example, of how pride is at work in my life. And my guess is you could too. There's not a stage or a sphere of my life and of yours that is untouched by pride. I could come up, like I said, illustration after illustration. The truth is throughout our time on this earth, you and I share a common and powerful enemy, the enemy of pride. King Uzziah before us this morning, as we look at his life, we we see this thing played out. Uh, For many of us, maybe the only reference that we are aware of in the Bible of Uzziah is the famous one in Isaiah 6, uh, verse 1. We learn the prophet's glorious vision of the Lord. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. For many of us, this is all we know about King Uzziah. Unfortunately, this, this brief mention... It doesn't tell us much about his life. We find him again in 2 Kings chapter 15 where he's called Azariah, which really is referring to his, his personal name, Azariah. But we get his biography, an in-depth look at his life here in 2 Chronicles. The life of Uzziah serves for us this morning as a cautionary tale about the dangerous and serious nature of pride. This morning, we're going to see basically three things. First of all, we're going to see our problem of pride. We're going to look at the punishment for pride. And then finally, we're going to develop a plan for killing pride. First up is the problem. And these first 15 verses, which we just read, we get a a good snapshot of the rise of King Uzziah. The rise of King Uzziah. And basically, we could sum up his rise with two words. The first is that King Uzziah was accomplished. He was accomplished. They made him king when he was 16 years old. He reigned for 52 years, longer than any other king in Juna. And during his reign... His reign was filled with one successful accomplishment after another. He commanded a mighty, mighty army. He was victorious in battle. He reclaimed lost territory. He developed Judah's national defense. He led strategically. He built the economy. Under his reign, Judah became a world superpower. And a result of that, all that was accomplished during his reign, reign we read in verse 8, is that his fame, his name, Spread even to the border of Egypt, for he had become very strong. King Uzziah was accomplished. Next thing we learn is that King Uzziah was an instrument. The chronicler, as he writes the story of this king, makes it very clear three times in the text. We learn that for as gifted as he was, really Uzziah was but an instrument. He was an instrument and the source, the source of his strength and his might was God himself. We read in verse seven, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the Mayunites. Take note of that. Uzziah didn't conquer his enemies merely because he was trained, skilled, educated, experienced. No, the source of Uzziah's success was the fact that he was the recipient of divine help, grace, favor, wisdom. God helped Uzziah. Uzziah was but an instrument. And we come to the verse 16, and we read these tragic words. But when he was strong, he grew proud. You see, as Uzziah looked back at his success, as he reflected, and he looked out at at the scope of his kingdom and what he had done, the cry in Uzziah's heart turned from, what a mighty God I serve, to what a mighty king I am. From what a great and glorious God to what a great, great king. His cry changed. His pride is exposed. The story continues in verses 16 through 18. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. See, in the Old Testament, God made very clear that there were distinctions in the offices or the roles of prophet, priest, and king. There was a separation, if you will, of powers. There was the prophet, and the prophet in in the Old Testament, the prophet's job was to serve as the mouthpiece of God. The prophet's job was to take the message of God and communicate it to the people of God. He was the mouthpiece. That's what the prophet was. Then there was the priest. The priest's job was to be the mediator between God, a holy, perfect, righteous God, and sinful humans. As the mediator, the high priest would enter the holy place, and he offered a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people once a year on the Day of Atonement. There's the prophet, there's the priest, and there's the king. The king was to be the monarch who ruled God's people, established to bring about the peace, prosperity, and welfare of the nation. You see, Uzziah was so, so impressed by his accomplishments and his ability to rule and to reign the kingdom of God's people... The boundaries simply did not apply. They no longer applied. He wanted to be king and priest. His pride was exposed, and it was a big, big problem. So what then is pride? What is pride? Essentially what pride is, is is finding, turning away from God and finding satisfaction in ourselves, Pride is self-exaltation, thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. And that's exactly what Uzziah did. Now, three quick comments on the nature of pride. The first, the three S's. The first is that pride, and this is one that if we're thinking about, okay, how does what happened in thousands of years ago relate to me today? Here's one that you can asterisk. Pride is socially accepted. Pride is socially accepted, and this is so apparent uh, in our society. As our society, our culture today has completely normalized self-promotion. It's expected to promote yourself. We turn to social media to display a highlight reel of our life, just putting the best of up there for everybody else to see. Parents, teachers, coaches are constantly telling kids how wonderful and amazing they are leaving little room for authentic self-evaluation. Pride is a problem, and it's socially accepted. The next S is that pride is subtle. Jonathan Edwards refers to pride as the secret enemy. It's the secret enemy. This especially is true, as we see it played out in Uzziah's life, for folks who, who may have seen a lot of success, who have accomplished much with their skills and what God has blessed them with. Oftentimes, pride creeps in unnoticed and dwells undetected for long, long periods of time. The next S is that pride is serious. Socially accepted, it's subtle, and it is serious. C.S. Lewis calls pride the great sin. He says this, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. A Christian commentator and theologian says, pride is more than just the, seven, the first of the seven deadly sins. It is itself the essence of all sin. Pride is a problem, folks. It was a problem for Uzziah. And if I'm being real with myself, it is a problem for me. Next thing that we learn is what does God do about this problem? What is the punishment for the problem? In the remaining portion of the chapter, we're told of what Uzziah's punishment for his pride looks like. It says, Then Uzziah was angry. Now, he had a censer in his hand. To burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, he didn't heed their rebuke. Leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests and the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. They rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Uzziah's pride did not go unchecked. Because of Uzziah's sinful pride, he was struck with leprosy. The great warning for us is that God knows how to put you and your pride in its place. In Luke eighteen fourteen, Jesus says, "For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted." And in First Peter five six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. God strikes Uzziah with leprosy. Think about this for a moment. Lepr- leprosy is not much of a threat. I would be willing to wager. Most of us aren't, you know, we leave this place today, we get a cup of coffee, we're on our way home, we stop for lunch. Most of us probably aren't, you know, concerned about bumping into a leper. I'm just going to take a wild guess. Most of us probably aren't, okay? For, for leprosy for Uzziah was complete reversal of who he was, Right? He was a king who ruled and who reigned, who had control over a kingdom, saw success after success. People, his name was being spread all across the territory. People learned of who this king and how mighty he was. And now in an instant, in an instant, he is cut off from his kingdom. He is outcast, set aside from the people, no longer coming in contact with his family, no longer coming in contact with his friends. Even the duties of reigning had to bring his son in to do that. It was devastating. It was totally devastating. Like I said, leprosy is not much of a threat for us today. It's not much of a threat for us today. But God knows how to put us in our place. He knows how to put us in our place. See, on one hand, we can look at what happened to Uzziah with leprosy as a punishment. God dealt with his pride. He took his pride seriously, and he put him in his place. On one hand, it was a punishment. But on the other hand, what God did to Uzziah was an expression of God's grace. It was an expression of his grace. Yes, it was grace. I would guess that if Uzziah were here today, as terrible as his condition and his punishment was, he would testify that God was gracious to him. God was gracious to him because the Old Testament makes it clear, the Old Testament law makes it clear that there was a punishment for what Uzziah did. Not a priest going into the temple. There was was a punishment. And that rightful punishment was death. He should have been struck dead. But in God's grace, in God's grace, he doesn't kill him. He punishes him, be clear, but he does not kill him. Uzziah received grace. So what's the punishment then for our pride? We know that God takes our pride very, very seriously. He took Uzziah's pride seriously. Are we all just going to be struck with leprosy at our most prideful moments? No, no. the punishment for our pride, my Bible says, is death. It's death. The price we pay, the price I pay for my pride is my life. Romans 2, 6 and 9 says this. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of pride is death. That's our punishment. So what then is our plan to attack pride? If we were to leave here just on that note, my guess is we wouldn't leave very hopeful and that would be wrong because we have a tremendous, tremendous hope. How do we respond then to the subtle, socially accepted, serious peril of pride? Are we simply helpless victims? By no means. Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life where we deserve death for our pride, He will give us life to our mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The exact same Spirit that brought Jesus forth from the grave, that raised Him up, is the Spirit that lives in us. If, If you call Jesus your Lord and King, you have access to the exact same Spirit. Not just access to it, it dwells in you. It dwells in me. The same spirit that flung planets into the universe, that created man just simply by molding clay and breathing breath into him. That same spirit is in us. It's in us. It's that spirit. If we want any chance, any chance of defeating this sin of pride in our life, we have to tap into the spirit. And it just starts by recognizing you got it. You got it. What you need to defeat this sin, you have. You have. Does it mean every day you try to defeat it, it's going to happen? No. Does it mean that... But it does mean that when we see it in our life, we repent. We turn from it. And we run to Jesus. He's given us what we need. He's given us what we need. John Owen says... I love this quote. Do you make it your daily work? This notion of killing pride. Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. As long as you have breath in your body, make this your business. Cease not a day from this work. You be killing sin or it will be killing you. We are to wage war. We're to wage war against this. Daily, every day. We are to fight it. And if we're just being real, my guess is, and I've seen it just already today in my life, manifest itself. If we're being real with ourselves, this is a daily struggle. And Christ died for us to be victorious in it. Three D's for how we can kill pride in our life. The first D is detect. And I think I've maybe drifted a little bit from our notes at this point, so... Bear with me. Three Ds. The first one is detect. How do you kill pride in your life? Detect it. Do you see pride present in your life? Ask God to give you, and this is, this is a, a tricky thing to do, but ask God to give you the grace of being able to see it and name it in your life. Do you see it? Can you detect pride in your life? And I'll just give you a few different symptoms. Do you have a critical spirit? Like if, you, if you could say, if you look at your life and the way you, you um, operate, do you have a critical spirit? Is that something you struggle with? Do you look at people and instantly are drawn to the flaws, really as an attempt to feel better about yourself? Is that something you struggle with, a critical spirit? Are you defensive? Can people around you approach you, and, and can they, they push back against you without you instantly putting up walls and being defensive because you're always right? Is that something you wrestle with? I know I do are you attention-seeking? Are you attention-seeking? I can remember, um, this is a little bit ago, but there was, I don't Village Inn, I think, it's free pie night on Wednesdays, where you just buy a cup of coffee, you got a little amen over there, okay, free pie night on Wednesday nights at the Village Inn, and I would go there for a number of weeks with some friends, and we would go and sit around and, you know, talk, and I would notice that there was another group who figured out the free pie night thing, Um, and uh, they would be there every week, and it, after being there for two or three or four weeks, I began to realize, I like pie, I apologize, it's a safe place, I like pie, I noticed that there was a table of these guys that would sit around, and, and every time we would be there, there would be really one voice that you would hear. There'd be one voice that the entire conversation would just revolve around. It was always the voice, and everybody else would just sit there, and they seem to be enjoying it, you know, but one voice, and I think how often, you know, there's one great way to see, you know, if you're a prideful person, if when you're in a room of people, if it's your voice that's always being heard, if it's your voice that's always being heard. Are you attention-seeking? Another way to detect it is are you neglecting others or on the positive side are you serving others can you look at your week and can you see times in your life where God has put people in your life that you make it the regular habit of serving or are you neglecting others needs are you neglecting them can you see sin see pride in your life can you detect it the next d would be depend do you um And this has to do with really honestly being real about your weaknesses. I can remember when we started teaching my children how to swim, um, the first three we had were boys, and as, you know, boys are just a little different, right? And so I could pick up, you know, one of my boys, and when they were little, and I could just throw them up in the air and know try to catch them and they'd be laughing it'd be fun right well with my daughter you know she would like the instant she would feel dad let go it was like "Ah," you know just terror across her face and i can remember when we were teaching them how to swim we would she'd be splashing around in the kiddie pool and it'd be real shallow and she'd be just having fun and i'd put the floaties on her and i'd take her out and we'd just gradually get a little deeper you know it's up to our waist maybe the chest and she's she's right there in my arms and when she wasn't looking i'd try to kind of just you know, throw her out there a little bit see what she could do, right? Just got to learn somehow, you know? And so, but as soon as she realized that she wasn't in daddy's arms anymore, the instant response was terror, desperation. And with her arms, she would reach out, and with her face, you would see, don't play no more, dad. You got to grab her, right? See, the, re- the problem for a lot of us comes is that, man, there are some gifted people in this room. There are some gifted, gifted people. And God is doing some awesome things through this church right now. If you just look around, God is doing some awesome things. But what we don't often realize is that we can't swim, right? We can't swim. Apart from the Father, we don't stand a chance. What we bring to the table is nothing. It's nothing. That's our relationship with God, is that we need Him. We have to be real with what our weaknesses is. Weaknesses are, excuse me. And part of that, a good way to do that, is to have people in your life who will be I mean, we have the tendency I have the tendency to surround myself with basically Doug's fan club, right? People who are like me, people who enjoy me. And a lot of times what can happen is nobody can be real. You have to have people in your life. It could be a spouse. It could be a friend. It could be a brother. It could be somebody in your community group who will speak truth and is not afraid to do it. And a lot of the way, you know, determine if they're going to be willing to do that is how you respond when they do. But people in our life who will be real to us. Azariah tried to be a good friend to Uzziah. He tried to step in in his pride and stop him from sinning. Uzziah was not a good friend to Azariah. He wouldn't let him do it. And then just the last d here is draw near detect sin depend on god and draw near to jesus the scriptures are very clear that uzziah's problem was pride and another way of saying that may seem weird but ultimately what uzziah wanted and i would contend it's the same thing really and my nature that i want and and the same thing that you want what uzziah really wanted uzziah wanted to be god that's what he wanted he wanted to be god He did not want God sitting on the throne of his heart any longer. Uzziah thought he could do it himself. And if we're real with ourselves, we're in the same position. I said before, the separation of powers in the Old Testament really points to the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, When we talk about the Lord Jesus in Hebrews, this is what we see. We have such a high priest, one who is seated, a high priest, who is seated at the right hand of the throne, the majesty in heaven. We have a priest who is also a king, sitting on the throne in heaven, a prophet, priest, and king, the only one who those boundaries did not apply to. He is all-sufficient. In our life, and we would do so well to run and keep close to Jesus. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, when it talks about this whole idea of, of waging war, of, of battling sin, and guarding yourself against the enemy, there's one piece of that armor that is an offensive piece. There is one piece of that armor that is really used to strike, and it's the, the, the Spirit of God, it's the Word of God. This is the offense that we have in waging war against our flesh. It's drawing near to Jesus, reading these pages. As we look at how Jesus, who was king, who was prophet, who was priest, when we look about how he operated when he came to earth, he took the posture of a humble servant, completely opposite of what Uzziah did. He's our example of what humility looks like, of what it looks like to push pride away and to run to the Father's arms. James 4: six and eight says, "God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and He will flee from you." Now listen to this promise: Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you." Isn't that awesome? He gives us the spirit that we need, it dwells in us. He says, "As we draw close to Jesus, He promises that He will draw close." to you what a promise what a promise and what a great hope let's pray father god lord thank you um, for the example that we have in jesus thank you for the grace that we have through jesus father and if we were to leave here and think that the only thing that we can do is just muster up enough strength and, and start attacking this lord it would be prideful indeed. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace of, of being able to detect where pride is present in our life, Lord. That you would give us the reality that we cannot do it apart from you, Father, and that you would give us the affection, the desire to draw close to Jesus, Lord. We ask these things,